Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, faction forming, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me once more, please. Oh God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts this hour be pleasing unto you. We ask that you would be with us right now, out in this open air, this lovely evening. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. So my freshman year of college, I had an English professor ask my class the following question. Asked, what do you want to serve as your epitaph? And no matter how hard I thought about that question, I could not come up with an answer to it. For the simple reason that I didn't have the slightest clue what an epitaph was. <laughs> it makes it hard to answer the question. Well, all these years later, knowing now that an epitaph is just a fancy way of saying that which is said about you when all is said and done, that which is written of you on your tombstone, knowing that all these years later, knowing that, I think about that professor's question quite a bit. That is, wondering to myself, what do I want said about me when all is said and done? What do I want said about me when I'm gone? What do I want for people to remember as having been the central essence of who Austin Carty was as a human being? I think about that. And I bring this up this evening, both my professor's question and my years of having thought long and hard about it, so as to tell you that all these years later, I have come up with an answer to it. Of all the things that could be said about me in the final analysis, of all the things I hope to be remembered for when I'm gone, 
of all the things I hope will capture the essence of who I was as a human being, I now have an answer for what I want those words to be. But I'm not yet ready to tell you what that is. So for now then, I want us to shift gears and I want us to go back a half dozen years earlier than that, which is to say, I want us to go from that freshman English course back to my sixth grade science class, where among other things, I first learned the term litmus test. Now a litmus test, my class was taught, and that teacher would be shocked if she knew that I this day still remembered. A litmus test, we were taught, was a test that clearly determined whether something was or was not acidic. But then, however, after teaching us about the scientific and literal meaning of a litmus test, our teacher went on to tell us that that term is more often used in everyday language to describe things outside of the scientific realm, to talk about everyday things. She told us about how people will often look at what someone does or what someone says or someone thinks or someone believes and then take that as evidence of whether he or she is really of a certain kind. Those actions, she explained to us, are like a litmus test. And here's why I bring that up this evening. I bring up the notion of a litmus test because when I finally get around at this sermon's end to telling you what I want to serve as my epitaph, I'm going to then show you how built into that epitaph is a litmus test, which is to say something that can very clearly determine whether I was in the final analysis worthy of such words or not. But before any of that, let's now shift gears again, and I want us to talk about what we are doing here tonight. This is the first time we've been together as a church body since June 28th, when 95 of us gathered for one Sunday alone in the sanctuary. Bracketing that day, this is the first time we've been together as a church family in over six months. Six months. Six months of being separated from one another. Six months of not being able to see one another and worship with one another and serve one another in the same physical space. And we're all reeling from this time apart, right? Just as everyone across our nation is reeling from the time spent apart, just as everyone throughout the entire globe is reeling from this unique experience. For this pandemic has not just been a disruption, it's been an absolute upheaval. It has hijacked the rhythms and the routines that provide us stability and comfort, and it has taken us out of sustained fellowship with those we know and love the most and most depend upon. And this is devastating for us. For as human beings, we are not meant to live apart from one another. It says so right there in Genesis chapter 2, that it is not good that the human being should be alone. Which is to say, we are quite literally designed by God to be in regular, everyday, unbroken relationship with one another. And therefore, it then follows 
that to be stripped of that kind of relationship is to lose a vital aspect of that which makes us most fully human. Consequently, I have had several people, both within our church and without, express to me how lonely they have felt throughout this pandemic. And how the longer it draws on, how much more emotionally on edge they are because of it in all spheres of their lives. And how vulnerable they therefore feel. And we, Boulevard Baptist Church, and those who have talked to me about this personally, we are not alone in feeling this way. No data conclusively shows that all across the country and all across the globe, people are struggling with how to process the upheaval that COVID-19 is causing. It's tearing families apart. It's devastating physical and mental health. It's leading to significant numbers of addiction relapse. And it's causing people to feel unmoored from the very things that give their lives meaning and hope. That's what's happening in the world all around us. And the point of bringing this all up tonight is to remind us as a church that while we hurt, we are likewise called to be ministers to a world that is hurting. That not only Austin and James and Lucy, and not only Jonathan and Robbie and Michael and Cindy who will be ordained tonight as deacons, and not only the official deacon body representing our church this year, but that our whole church body, in fact, that the whole body of Christ spread across the globe is called to be ministers to a world that is this very moment hurting very badly. But here's the thing we must remember about that and about this call and about this responsibility. When we are removed from our regular rhythms and routines, when we are out of fellowship with one another and not getting the kind of human interaction we are designed for, when we are isolated from the things and the people that most make us us, we are therefore then not working with our most emotionally mature selves. We're not working with our best emotional tools. We're not who we most fully want to be. Instead, we are then a little quicker to anger and a little more prone to bitterness and a little more apt to respond destructively rather than constructively. And I bring all of this up so as to say, lest we be aware of these things, lest we be aware of the way the deck is currently stacked against our best intentions as disciples and as ministers to a hurting world, lest we be aware of that, there is a likelihood that we will simply join the chorus of this hurting world instead of ministering to it. Which is to say, adding fuel to the fire rather than helping to put it out as we are called to do. You know, in times like this, it can be comforting to remember that we're not the first Christians to struggle with a call to be ministers to a hurting world. 
No, we read about it all through the scriptures. In fact, in our earliest extant letter from the Apostle Paul, that is, the letter to the Galatians, we see Paul counseling the Galatian church about how to poise itself, how to position itself amid a time of turmoil, so as to make Christ more visibly known, and how in so doing to thereby make the world itself a better, calmer, more just and loving place. Writing to the Galatians about how the upheavals of the present moment were working against them as ministers of the faith, Paul writes, quote, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. You just heard me read it. And he goes on to list so many things that are confounding the culture around them. Confounding them specifically enmities and strife and jealousy and anger and quarreling and dissensions and faction forming and what he calls things like these. In a confounded culture such as this, Paul is writing, these are the things we ourselves, he's saying to the Galatians, are equally vulnerable to. And from there, he then goes on to warn them against being co-opted by those things. But by contrast, he then explains, the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you act out of these things, he is saying, if you act out of these dispositions, these orientations. This will inevitably make Christ known in the world. And all Paul is saying, oh how the world needs the spirit of Christ. Well today we like the Galatians are living in a turbulent time. And everyone ourselves included are vulnerable to being co-opted by those things Paul calls the works of the flesh, those things like enmity and jealousy and anger and faction forming. But if we are truly to be disciples, if we are truly to live up to the gospel call, we are expected, the apostle counsels us even yet, to dig deep within ourselves and show love even when it doesn't come as naturally to us as we might like. And to still work for peace even when we feel antagonized against. And to practice generosity even when those around us are closing themselves off to it. And to offer gentleness even when harshness seems to be carrying the day. Yes, according to the Apostle Paul, even in turbulent times, in fact, especially in turbulent times, According to the Apostle Paul, if we are to be followers of Christ, we are called to make manifest the fruits of the Spirit, not pile on to those things he calls the work of the flesh. Every Sunday we conclude our service by repeating this verse, right? By saying aloud together the fruits of the Spirit. 
And the reason I have us do that is not just so that we will have these fruits memorized and thereby more deeply embedded within our minds and our hearts, though of course that's part of it, but also so as to enter each week into a covenant with each other. For we see the benefit of saying this aloud together week after week is that in so doing we are committing ourselves to practice that which we are preaching. For when we repeat together these fruits each Sunday, we are covenanting together to live them out, to make them known, to display them to the world around us, to be agents of Christ's Spirit to a world that desperately needs His Spirit's comforting touch. I mean this sincerely when I say I honestly can't think of a better way to conceive of what one ought to wake up for each day. I honestly can't think of a better way to orient and direct our lives and our energies. I honestly can't think of a scripture I love more in the entire Bible, and I love the Bible, says the preacher. And that is why this is the scripture that sustains me. And that is why I've decided I want this to serve as my epitaph when all is said and done. When all is said and done, I want people to be able to say that my love and my joy and my peace and my patience, that my kindness and my generosity that my goodness and my faithfulness and my gentleness and my self-control, I want people to be able to say that these things were so evident in my life and the way I treated other people and in the way I carried myself. I want people to be able to say that these things were so evident in my life that it was obvious that he lived by the Spirit. Which leads me, of course, back to the litmus test that fail-safe proof of whether something really is what it purports to be. You know, Paul himself writes about the litmus test for the fruits of the Spirit. I don't have to go out in search of one. It's right there in verse 25. You just heard me read it a minute ago, but I'll read it again. If we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us also be guided by the Spirit. In other words, it's a lovely thing to say these words. It's a lovely thing to think they're lovely. But it's a whole other thing to actually live them out. Or put differently. It's one thing to want these words to serve as your epitaph. It's a whole other thing to live in such a way as to deserve them. Well, my beloved Boulevard Baptist Church, here's my covenant to you. I will strive my hardest every day to not only speak these words with my mouth, but to demonstrate them with my life. And in return, here's what I ask of you. That you would remember each week when we say these words as our benediction, that we are covenanting not only to admire them as an ideal, but also to make them become flesh in our own lives, day by day. 
even before a pernicious pandemic arrived and threw our world into upheaval, even before that, we already had a world that desperately needed the tender touch of Christ's Spirit. But today, with the world so vulnerable and emotionally on edge, the world needs that tender touch now more than ever. And it is we who are called to provide it. For if not us, who? And if not now, when? And if not here, right in our own backyard, where? With this sermon, we now reach the end of this series, Scriptures That Sustain Us. And I hope you've enjoyed it half as much as I've enjoyed putting it together. And as it comes to a close, I wanted to wrap it up by sharing with you this scripture that sustains me. And I share it with you tonight with the hope that in so sharing, it will become a scripture that sustains us. To that end, starting next Sunday, I'm going to begin a new sermon series. This one on the fruits of the Spirit. Taking each one, one by one, drawing our attention each week to the power of these simple dispositions. These fruits of the Spirit. And I can't wait to begin. Perhaps one day when the history is written about this time in the life of Boulevard Baptist Church, some future church historian will say one thing's for sure. In a truly turbulent historical moment, a moment when things were so complicated and unclear to the world around them, one thing is for sure. Those disciples certainly lived by the Spirit. What an epitaph that would be for this time in our church's life. And if that sounds good to you and you want to endeavor to make that so, I'd remind you that there's only one litmus test for proving it so. And so if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. All my love and peace and joy to you. You have no idea how wonderful it is to see your faces. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.